through podcasts and Vimeo, etc., goes out, and a lot of people follow these. And so this is not just for those present, but many others. And so let's pray over the word. Lord, we just come in Jesus' name and through his blood, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for, before this, just the incredible presence of God, the anointing. We thank you for your glory here, open heaven. And Lord, we just thank you for your goodness, and we, we're so thankful for the word of God. We would be so lost and so confused and so out there, not having anything to really stand upon if we didn't have the word. And so, Lord, we just thank you for giving us your word. We love and cherish the word of God. And tonight, as we get into this, I thank you for anointing and speaking through me everything that needs to be spoken under an anointing, and the winds of the Holy Spirit is going to carry this out to where it needs to go. But the Bible promises us that it will not return void. The parable of the seed and the sower, it goes out into various kinds of soil. So, Lord, I'm asking you tonight, by the Holy Spirit, move it upon every person that's going to be seeing this, hearing this, Lord, that every one of us will be good soil. We're not going to be rocky soil. We're not going to be caught up with uh, the weeds, the cares of the world. Let us be good soil and by the Holy Spirit prepared and that these living seeds of truth will be sown into good soil and watered by the Spirit. And they'll take root in us and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And Lord, that everything will be accomplished in and through this time in every life that your will to be done. The word of God will be like a hammer that breaks down the strongholds, a sword that penetrates or a light that dispels the darkness and lies of the enemy. Lord, we thank you for the washing of the water of the word. And everything will be spoken that needs to be spoken. And as I said earlier, we, we stand on the promise it will not return void, but we believe together it will go forth and accomplish what it's supposed to all over the world, wherever it's supposed to go. And now we know the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So River of Life, we agree together. Anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to, in the name of Jesus, we bind you. You will back off right now. And Lord, we thank you for your angels clearing all that out. In Jesus' name, we bless you, and we thank you for the power of the word of God. Amen. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to share a little bit different tonight. I'm going to talk about the importance of an ancient path, but I'm also going to talk about the importance of a fresh move of God and then give you kind of some end-time restoration, I believe the Lord's wanting to do. And so hopefully this will really encourage you. But this sermon is something really dear to my heart, and there are certain points that I would be tempted to dwell on too long, and I can't do that. But let me just open. I'm going to entitle this An Ancient Path. How many knows that there's a lot of references to this? So we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's some kind of a path. Isaiah 35, you know, there's a, there's a path in the wilderness, and, and we, we see all references to that. Jesus said there's a narrow way that leads to life, but there's, there's a way, isn't there? There's a path, and the path of the righteous, the Bible says, grows brighter and bright, brighter. So there is some kind of a spiritual path, and I was looking at this, Jeremiah 6, 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest, a resting place for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Now, consider the context of the days of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, there were many false prophets, but it is quite possible that Jeremiah was the only true prophet. The people of God had gotten so deeply involved in Baal worship 
and idolatry, burning incense to demon gods and all kinds of violence and bloodshed and sexual immorality. They had just strayed from the Lord, and Jeremiah was a voice crying out to them to repent. And they did not, and they ended up going in exile to Babylon. Now, consider that as you read this. So the Lord said through Jeremiah, he said to the nation of Israel, and I also consider that Jeremiah was a descendant of Aaron. He was a Kohen. He was a priest, and he would have had access to the temple. And he cried out there in Jerusalem, in the holy city, and he was crying out to God's people. He was also crying out, think about it, to his brethren, the priests. And during those days, and he said this, listen, there is, there is a way. He said, stand by the ways and ask for these ancient paths from God where the good way is and walk in it. Then you'll find rest. But he said they would not walk in it. So they end up going into exile. It's kind of an interesting passage if you think about it in context. So there is a, there is a path. And I believe that you'll see where I'm coming from tonight, River of Life, because I can't belabor this, but I've preached on the Hebrew roots, and that's one of them. See, much of, and I can only just say this in passing. So if this is new to some people, I can't dwell on it. You just have to go. I did a series called Communion Hebrew Roots. You can go back and listen to it. But much of the body of Christ came out of the Protestant Reformation, which was breaking off from Catholicism. There's just a lot of things that are still in the body of Christ that go back to Catholicism and kind of that root system. There's something about the Hebrew roots that are very important. And I, I don't have time to go too deep, but I will say a few things. One of them is, is understanding blessings. You know, as we take of communion, when you understand, we do this weekly as a church, when you really understand that taking communion is basically keeping Passover throughout the whole year. Think about that. And it's, it is coming up under the blood of the Lamb, and it's the blood covenant, and then also the power of speaking blessings. Let me tell you, the body of Christ, by and large, in America has no concept of blessings and curses whatsoever. And I say this in love and humility, but the, even the idea of what a blessing is and what a curse is, there's just no concept whatsoever. And so I'm going to be dealing a series, I'm going to be entering into a series, which I started last week, called Moving from Curse to Blessing. And so we're going to be looking at that. But a blessing is not that something good happened to you. A blessing is, it's a spiritual, powerful impartation. There's words that are spoken, but it's not just random. There, there are words that have some kind of a substance and power that those words are spoken and placed from like a father to a child, from a pastor to a church, etc. But you speak that out and it's placed on people. And we understand that from the Hebrew roots, okay? We also understand, I'm just giving you a couple of quick things, that if you really would do a deep study, and I encourage this on the tabernacle, and then understand that we are living, breathing tabernacles of the Holy Spirit, you see? The Everything Israel had in the natural, we have in the spiritual. So Israel fought physical armies, but we fight spiritual armies, you see. And understanding like the incense. See, to go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, the priest had to enter in by blood, and now that's been fulfilled through the blood of Jesus. So it's his blood 
that gives us access, but he would take incense. So in the natural, Israel had a physical natural incense that was made up of four parts, but now the spiritual is this, praise, worship, prayer, intercession. And that, that's why River of Life, I know you understand this, but when we come together, we take time to make sure that everything's right between us and God. We take communion together. I don't rush through it. I take a few moments with it. And what's happening? We're all coming under the blood. The blood's applied to this place, this service to every one of us. And we're coming confidently through the blood into the Holy of Holies. Now, also the priest had to take incense with him. So see what we're doing is we're coming through the blood, but then what do we do? Praise, worship, prayer, and intercession. The incense goes right up to the Lord. And even in the book of Revelation, before people try to dismiss what I'm saying, in the book of Revelation, the prayers of the saints were seen in golden bowls of incense before the throne of God. So there's something to this, understanding our roots and where we come from and what is really available to us. There's patterns. Just like what I just described to you, there's patterns. It's not a religious ritual. There's a difference. Unfortunately, a lot of places you go, they have their own little dead religious ritual. This isn't a religious ritual. This is a pattern of how God has prescribed to us through his word that we are to approach him. How many knows we're to enter in his courts with praise and enter his gates with thanksgiving, you see? There's a way to come to God. So there's patterns. Also, we understand significant times and their fullness. We understand what they mean. We understand the spring feast. We understand Pentecost. We understand the fall feast. The fall feast are yet to be fulfilled. Yom Teruah, the feast of trumpets, being the rapture. Then Yom Kippur, the days of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. And then, of course, tabernacles. And so there's, there's patterns there. There's understanding that these dates and these times, these feasts are significant to God. They're important to him. Of course, under the new covenant, we're not required to do it, but by participating, I believe that we do learn a lot, and I believe it is a great blessing to us as well, but we connect, and I believe there's something to these times, and of course, what they represent. See, we're going to have a conference during the fall feast of tabernacles, and I'm believing that God's glory will tabernacle here in a much greater way than ever before. Y'all with me on that? How many like to see the glory increase? Amen. And um, anyway, so the Hebrew roots, there's, there's so much there, I can only say it in passing, but I could preach probably seven sermons easy on this subject alone. It is a deep and an important subject. But also, let me remind you that we also have a root system, an ancient path, River of Life, and there's a responsibility that we have with this of Pentecost and the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You understand? Hear what I'm saying. Please look this way and please hear this of all things. Something has happened over the last couple decades that somehow the devil has come in and tried to steal the power of God. He's tried to steal Pentecost and tongues, the gifts, the laying on of hands, the power of God. And unless those of us that have gone before where, you know, now we're older and we've experienced Pentecost for ourselves, we have to make it a point that we're going to pass this to the next generation. And we have to pursue that. 
Because if we don't, I'm warning you, if we don't, there is a generation that it really could be lost. I'm, I'm in a generation right now as I'm preaching right now that doesn't really understand by and large even intercession. But yet I grew up in Pentecost and so did some of you. I mean, it was normal that you would hear the intercessors praying and groaning in the spirit during services, before church, during the altar time. This wasn't abnormal. This was all the time. But see, here's what I'm trying to say. Somehow the devil came in and started stealing these things. Why? Because he knows the power of it. It is a major threat to him. And so I'm keeping Pentecost and the baptism and the Holy Ghost, deep intercession alive in this ministry. And I know that um, you guys love that, but not everybody does. And I've had to pay a price. We've lost some people because of the power of God. I've shared that with Brother Holt many times. I went to see him. He said, uh, he looked at me and Sandy one time and said, I know why you keep coming back here. And he said, it's the power of God that draws us together. And it is. And he's been a spiritual father. And he said this, um, he saw the power of God at work here. And he's Pentecostal and he loves the power of God. But I'm going to tell you, he, he would verify this. He's even told me himself, he's concerned that he's seeing a generation come up that doesn't know the power of God. And so we've got to make it a point to introduce them to the power of God. They need that. You know, I remember, let me just tell a quick story about this. So Brianna, I, I had a vision years ago, I mean years and years ago, when she was young, and I saw her just falling out under the power of God, and, and it was like her being baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire way back, just way back. And I saw that it would be like a rocket booster in her life. And um, that's obviously happened. But I remember, though, that she had went through a really difficult time, was really hurt. And back then, I was connected with Steve Hill's ministry, and we were like a, an extension over here in the east. And, and so a lot of things they were doing we would participate and vice versa. As a matter of fact, when we first launched out, our first service was uh, we had Jesse Rogers come in from the Brownsville Revival, and, and she led worship. It was really powerful. And Jeff Baldwin helped me out back then, and he was driving, he was driving the Heartland van, man, had all the equipment, just like I was never been so scared in my life. He said, if I had an accident, he was like, Brother Steve would kill me, you know. <laughs> But he drove all the way out here to the east. We set it up, and um, Jesse came. A lot of people, it was a real powerful move of God. And I remember that Brianna had been really through a difficult time, and so I sent her with their youth down to, back then it was Brownsville. Um, she was a teenager at the time, so it's a Brownsville thing, like a branded by fire, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was probably 2004 or five, somewhere in there. Anyway, and she went down there, and I remember that she'd been really hurt and she told me, or they, leaders told me later, she got prayer. And this is really awesome. You see generational blessings. This was the very sanctuary where God slammed me, and I was baptized in fire, and my life was forever changed. And God made sure that my daughter would end up in that sanctuary. You understand? And she got hit by the power, and she was out under the power of God there in that sanctuary. They said up to somewhere around four hours. They eventually had to leave. 
They're like toting her off, you know, carrying her off and put her somewhere. I don't remember. Anyway, I let God finish whatever he was going to do. I wasn't there. I don't know what they did with her. And so they went and did something else, came back. She finally came out of that. But you know what? She came back. Listen to what I'm saying. She came back a totally different person. She came back totally different. You know what happened? She experienced the power of God for herself. And I'm going to tell you that I don't really worry too much about her because, you know, the Bible says that um, the demonstrations of the Spirit's power, that people's faith will rest in God, not man. See, Paul came with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Once somebody has experienced God's power for themselves, they've been healed. She's been healed of stuff. And they've seen many others healed. They've been delivered of things, and they've seen many others delivered. They've encountered God's power, etc. It's no longer a debate, an intellectual debate. No, no, no. Now it's, I know him. I have experienced him for myself, and there's nothing you're ever going to say that's going to take that away from me. That's what I want for this younger generation. I, I want them to be so baptized in fire and have such an encounter with the Lord. Somebody came to them with all kinds of vain arguments and atheism and agnostic stuff and all this garbage that's out there, and they'll look at them and say, it doesn't matter what you say to me. I know him. I have experienced him for myself. And I have seen his power with my own eyes. You'll never convince me otherwise. That's what our next generation needs. And I believe how these young people, I saw it at Browns, I believe these young people that are coming, you mark my word, they're coming. I believe many of them, many, are going to be groaning in deep intercession. God's going to use them as powerful intercessors, powerful prayer warriors. They'll go back to their respective school or whatever, and they're going to be so baptized in fire that they're going to win many others to the Lord. You watch. So we have to ourselves be on the ancient path, but we've got to get this younger generation on this path, you see. So another thing that's interesting, Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight. Solomon says this, do not move the ancient boundary stone which your fathers have set. Isn't that important? And then it says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, after all, though you should have 10,000 teachers, guides to direct you in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For I become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul was saying, we've got all these teachers, but we need fathers. Now, what's the difference? Well, it's not that fathers won't teach because they do, but fathers reproduce. See, teaching is one thing. It's important. It has its place. We need to learn. But when there's spiritual fathering, it's like, hear what I'm saying here. The spiritual DNA of the spiritual father goes into the children, and they become like the spiritual father or mother that they have. Does that make sense? So it's more than just teaching. It's something that is developed in them, and we need fathers of the faith. And so... One of the things God really laid on my heart to share about this, about spiritual moms and dads, because I, I was thankful to have that with um, Ruby and Addie, were spiritual moms, and they were funny. You know, I was a goofy kid, and I had a lot of imperfections. And I knew from things they told me and how they prayed for me back then. They were like, God helped this young man, you know. <laughs> and he did. But they were really patient with me. They were, they were funny. And Ruby would get on me about stuff, and I needed him. Addie was always more of the sweet encourager and just, 
Um, you know how some moms think, think the world of like a son or something. She was, Ruby, uh, Addie was that way with me. It's like I could do no wrong. But Ruby, on the other hand, was like, boy, you need to straighten up about this. So I needed both of them. But they really spoke into my life, and they taught me how to pray. Okay, then, thankfully, down the road as time's passed, I'm so thankful that God brought people. We need spiritual fathers. I have the best, have the best parents in the world, but we need spiritual parents too, not just spiritual teachers, you understand. I'm so thankful people like Brother Holt, Brother John, and um, you know, Sergio Scatiglini too is becoming more and more. But I'm thankful for them speaking in my life and, and bringing correction and helping and with you too. So removing an ancient boundary stone, and let me say this. The Bible talks about in regards to spiritual boundary stones, holiness and godly convictions and the fear of the Lord. Y'all look this way. Please don't get distracted. What I'm saying is really important. Holiness. How many knows God has not changed? I personally don't care at all. And some people hearing this, I know how it'll go with them, but that's their problem. God has not changed. God is still a holy God, and he expects holiness from us, period. That'll never change, and that is never going to change my mind. And we're living in a generation that doesn't like that. Um, But there are certain godly convictions that we get from our spiritual moms and dads, and we need that. You know, I think to myself, I have no inclination down this direction, okay? I'm just randomly picking something. Let's say it could be something like drugs or alcohol or something like that. But the Lord took any of those desires out of me a long time ago, but let's just say that there was a temptation, some of the first thoughts that will come to my mind is, number one, you know, what would my mom and dad think, obviously? But I would also be thinking my covering, Brother John, Brother Holt, etc. I'd be thinking, well, they would have a problem with this. Does that make sense? See, you need that in your life. You need that accountability. And see, this is their godly Pentecostal convictions, and this is why they have the power of God in their life. See, if you're going to be an outer court person, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. You're always just going to be talking about your salvation experience. Okay, hey, praise God, that's the most important thing there is. But that's an outer court. If you're ever going to go deeper and you're going to go into the holy place, God, the Holy Spirit, is going to begin to deal with you that some of the old things are going to have to pass. How many have experienced that for yourself? You didn't need Pastor Scott to tell you. You knew God's taken me deeper, and so some of my convictions begin to change. I remember I was talking to Pastor Todd out there in the North Georgia Revival. He was telling me one of the things. He said, as I went deeper as the revival, he said, I started speaking to other ministers. He said, there are certain TV programs and things that you're no longer going to be able to watch anymore. You see what I'm saying? It's not, it's, it's like you leave the outer court and you begin to go where God's power is in his presence. As you get closer to, how many knows the closer that you get to Jesus, the more the world is going to be an offense? You know, and you can't have both. You can't have both Jesus and the world at the same time you're going to have to choose which master. So if you're in the outer court, you may get away with some things. But as you go into the holy place, 
there's going to be some things that God's going to expect out of you now. He's going to expect you to give up some stuff and, and quit hanging around certain people and quit having certain ungodly conversations and some of the old things you used to do are going to pass away. And then let me tell you, don't just stop there. That's more of a Pentecostal experience. But as you go past the veil and you get into the deep place of God's glory, it's going to even be more so. But see, the deeper you go in the glory, the more you're not going to want that junk anyway. Trust me. You just, it doesn't matter. But you're, all the worldliness and all the carnality and all the junk that all of us have, the further you go in Christ and the deeper you go in the glory, the more all that is going to fade away and the more the Lord's going to expect it to fade away. But these godly convictions, holiness, God wants us to keep those godly convictions. As I said last week, be careful that you don't lose it because there's this subtle whisper of the enemy to try to say, oh, it's not that big a deal and get you back into those old things, you see. And remember last week we talked about regression? Be careful that you're not regressing back into the old stuff that God brought you out of. That should be a big red flag right there, Lester Sumrall taught us. If you're going back to the old stuff that God brought you out of, you're regressing, and that's a step toward coming under the influence of demonic activity. Remember that from last week, so be careful. Don't regress. Guard those godly convictions. There's things that you won't feel comfortable with anymore, and that's a good thing. There's also a holy reverential fear of God. You know, I don't, I'm not afraid to approach the Lord in prayer because I know he loves me. But there's also always needing to be a godly, healthy fear that you don't make it a trivial thing. How many knows he is God and we're just man, okay? We need to have a holy, reverential fear of God, great respect, reverence him, reverence his presence, reverence his word, reverence the Holy Spirit, and have a reverence toward his house. And the, the thing about spiritual mothers and fathers, it's, not, it's the same like natural parents. They're going to correct you at times and tell you when you're getting off in certain areas. And we need to be open to that. I'm concerned that we're in a generation that's so easily offended that you can't correct some people. That's scary. Because if they're like that, they may be that way the rest of their life if nobody can help them. Every time somebody tries to correct them, they get offended and mad and fight and run off. And You can't be that way. And I'm really thankful because I have spiritual fathers that will shoot straight with me and tell me, look, you know, you need to be careful with this and that and the other. And I've, I've pondered even some of the conversations I've had with John Davis, and I was telling my wife about it here recently. I can see now more clearly how he's been trying to drill certain things into me. Because he knows by the Spirit and being in prayer what's coming. And he's trying to prepare me and say, you need to be careful with this. Do not do this. You need to watch out for these type of people. Watch out with this type of situation. He's trying to drill it into me and get me ready for what's coming. So spiritual moms and dads will correct you, and they'll set you straight, and they'll tell you what you don't want to hear. How many knows that's usually what we need to hear the most? It's what we don't want to hear. They'll correct, and their convictions, this is also important, their godly convictions will become your godly convictions. 
and it needs to be that way. So there is an ancient path. There's an ancient path, understanding the Hebrew roots, but there's an ancient path of Pentecost and holiness and revival fire, godly convictions that our fathers before us understood. I think about Steve Hill, who in so many ways was a father to this house and many others, but I think about the way that he was. And you know, it is by no accident that he was so influential in my life that even though he's been dead for many years, I'm gonna tell you something and remember this. You talk about how spiritual fathers impart. I have never lost and will never lose the burden for souls. That was put in my life through him. There's certain things that will get in your life from spiritual fathers and mothers that will follow you the rest of your life. It's a blessing but it's also godly convictions and things that they had with God. And it's important that we make it a point that we get it to the next generation. And so that's the ancient path. That's connecting to what was, and and we find that path. There's all these passing fads. There's things that come and go. I like modern worship and all that, but things come and go. Styles change. You know, decor, what's in style changes. What's exciting one year may not be the next. There's things that kind of come and go. But there's an ancient path that you can find where there's rest for your soul. And God's in that path. It's the path of the righteous. But also, how many knows we need a fresh move of God today? So I don't want to just talk about what has been. I do, and I love revival stories. I love revival history. I'm a student of revival history, and I've taught many sermons and things about different moves of God. It's important that we honor what was and learn from it and honor the spiritual moms and dads of the past. Think about Evan Roberts. Think about, you know, think about different moves of God like William Seymour and, and and uh, Brother McGreedy and those in Cambridge, etc. I mean, we can go on and on. Duncan Campbell and Hebrides. I honor those that's gone before us, and I honor what I've learned from them and gleaned and what I've... But we've got to have a fresh move today. So there's some kind of a balance here that y'all please hear me with this. You don't want to get too focused on what was to where you kind of camp out, and it becomes like a dead thing, like a memorial or something to what was like some kind of a shrine to what was, <laughs> you know. It's like there's, there's no life. You guys ever been somewhere and there's statues and memorials of what was? How many knows there's no life in that statue, man? And that's what it is. You start making memorials, there's no life in that, but it's important to remember. But we need a fresh move of God today. And one of the things I really love that I, I learned from, from Steve Hill, you know, a lot of people wanted Brother Steve to pray for him and minister to him and all that. And that's awesome. I did too. But Brother Steve always told people, he's like, look, I can pray for you. I remember this. Brother Steve would tell people this. And he said, but you have got to pray down your own revival for yourself. That's true. We've got to learn to have a move of God now in this generation. And we, how many knows we can't ride other people's coattails? 
I believe that's why you never read one good thing in the Bible, sadly, about the sons of the prophets. You ever notice that? You read all these wonderful things about the prophets, but everyone, you never read one good thing about the sons of the prophets. You know what the problem was? They always try to ride their daddy's coattail. Instead of having a prayer life for themselves. So, with that, a fresh move of God today, I love this scripture, Matthew 13, 52. Might be a bit obscure, and maybe some of you aren't familiar with it. But Jesus was talking about here, you remember when he ministered, even though it was not very many, there were some scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees that did love Jesus and went to him like Nicodemus. There were some, okay? There wasn't a lot of them. As a matter of fact, most of them were his greatest enemy. But Jesus spoke of these that would become disciples, and listen to what he said. He said, therefore, every teacher, now he's talking about a scribe here, like a Sadducee, a Pharisee, a teacher, an interpreter of the sacred writings who has been instructed about and trained for the kingdom of heaven, has become now a disciple. He says about those people, he said it's like a house, a leader of a household who brings out of the storehouse treasures that are new and old. Did y'all catch that? And so Jesus is saying there, once somebody's been like a Sadducee, they, they knew the word, they knew the depth of the word, they, they were seasoned in that, and they were something that they had with God but once they became a disciple of Christ, he was saying now they're going to receive what God's doing now. They're going to enter into the blood, the new covenant, and they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And he was saying that they would be like a storehouse of both the new and the old in their life. In other words, they would have some kind of a depth about them. How many knows that you want to have some deep roots? You want to have some depth about you, that you know the deep things of God, you know the deep things of the Word. So there's something about what was in the past, and you're on that ancient path. You're not moving that boundary stones that your fathers have set. They have godly convictions. There's things that don't need to be adjusted. There's a path there. There's, there's boundaries. You're on this path of what was, but when you come together with the fresh outpouring of the Spirit in your generation, there's both the new and the old, which brings a great depth in a maturity. Are you seeing this? This fresh move of God today, I think about Peter when he went to Cornelius' house while Peter was still speaking these words, Acts 10, 44. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the Jewish believers that came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And Peter responded, surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized. You have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on for many days. But see, there's a fresh outpouring. When Peter showed up, it wasn't Peter talking about something that happened 20 years ago. Peter's giving him the gospel and the Holy Spirit falls right then and there. A fresh revival, a fresh move of God at that time. I thank God my life was forever changed in the 90s revivals, but we're not in the 90s anymore, and we need an outpouring right now, 2021. We need, this younger generation needs an encounter with the Lord, 
And I'm going to tell you, just talking about it ain't going to get the job done. And that's 1 Corinthians 4.20. Look at this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You can talk to them and talk to them and talk to them, but until they experience the power of God for themselves, you see, they need an encounter. And that's another thing. I keep bringing up things I've learned, but it's a part of this sermon. But Brother Steve told me that. He said, they need an encounter with Jesus Christ for themselves. They need their own encounter. You see, you can't just, they can't ride your encounter. They need their encounter. But for them to have that encounter, those of us that are spiritual moms and dads that are on this ancient path, and we've kept the boundary stones, and we're carrying the fire, and we've got some depth about us, we've got to make it a point that we're somehow going to get this torch to that next generation. It's not just going to happen. We're going to have to pray it in and make it help, you know, God do it, but we're going to have to make it a point to pray it in and to pursue that because that is, I'm going to tell you something, that is one thing that Satan will really fight is the hearts of the fathers turn to children, children to fathers, and there being a passing, like a spiritual transference from one generation to the next of Pentecost, tongues, the power of God, encounters with God, revival. Trust me, that is something the devil does not want happen. And I think about times past, great revivals, and I, and I watched things kind of wane, and it really grieved me. Because I remember the, the fiery altar calls at places like Brownsville, etc. I remember that there was a holy fear of God. And there would be a, a preacher under the anointing, get up there and say, you know, preach against sin. You're guilty. Come down, get right with God. Tonight's the night. Don't put it off. And they were fiery altar calls. And people were gripped with the fear of God. They would come down and they would repent and get everything right with the Lord. And I miss that because a lot of, you don't see that too many places anymore. And not only that, but even conferences. I'm not being critical here because I, I like conferences. They're important. But I remember when conferences in the 90s were the power of God. I mean, you would hear sermons and teaching, but then everybody got prayer. And you'd have just thousands of people out there in the power everywhere, you see. I mean, it wasn't just in word. See, the kingdom of God is not just talk, but power. And people don't just need to hear the word. They need that desperately, but they also need the power of God in their life, you see. And I, it grieved me to see that, that waning. And I, I remember... I've seen so much of this, and we've experienced this here, but baptismal services. I remember Brownsville would have baptismal services on Friday nights, and people that just got saved, a lot of them, but also a lot of other people wanted to get baptized. They wanted to experience like a deep consecration in their life. They just wanted to separate themselves unto God, and I remember the power of God hitting them. And I'm going to tell you something. These baptismal services, you can look back in revival history and they viewed that, and a friend of mine, Brian Taylor, was talking about this on Facebook. He said they viewed that as a time to really consecrate your life unto God. But he said not only were people, like, sanctified, so to speak, but they also were healed of things. They were delivered of things. So these baptismal services, what's, you know, listen, and please understand, I'm not saying this out of criticism. I'm trying to be helpful here. But just because you fill something up with water, and you have a little thing that you say, and then you dunk them, and they get up, they're happy and go off. That's not what we're talking We're talking about where they really encounter the power of God in that water. 
You understand there's a difference. It's not just a religious ritual. It's where they're not only baptized in water, but it seems like they're baptized in the Holy Ghost at the same time. And they get up healed of things. You understand? Delivered. And they're experiencing that in North Georgia. I'm thankful for that revival. What about the healing ministry? I've been healed of so many different things. I've prayed for so many people that's been healed. I've prayed for my wife that's been healed of stuff. Prayed for my daughter that's been healed of stuff. I think some of you guys have been healed of stuff. But we need the healing power of God. And listen, I believe in the days to come, River of Life. Just remember I said this, write it down. We've seen healings, but nothing compared to what's coming. And I'm not just saying that. I know that God's going to increase that in our midst in the days to come. It's, it's significantly. So there's tremendous healing ministries we need, deliverance ministry. We've seen so many people deliver to things, you know, but the best is yet to come. I'm going to tell you, when we start seeing the move God has for us, all these younger people are coming. We're, we're, in a, we're seeing a generation right now. See, if you were to go back over 100 years, let's say you go back to late 1800s, it was just different. I mean, people chewed tobacco. People would drink whiskey. And they might sleep with a prostitute. That was about, and, and the, you know, they might kill somebody or something. But in this generation, of course, that's horrible. But in this generation, <laughs> it's not just that. <laughs> Here, I'm going with this. Follow me. I'm going somewhere with it. But in this generation, murder has been trivialized through abortion. And even people that are quite young are murdering babies. You understand? Yeah, I'm, I'm being serious about this. It sounds funny the way I'm saying it. I'm probably not saying it right. God help me. But they're, they're a part of blood being shed even at a young age. And they're being introduced to drugs and the type of things that are really enslaving them. There's a generation that is into self-mutilation, cutting themselves. There, there's things in this latter generation that back in the late 1800s just wasn't even available. I mean, through the Internet, through different means, they're being introduced to pornographic stuff, and it's not just imagery there's a spirit about it, you see. And they're getting enslaved in things. And obviously the same, you know, substance abuse and things, it's probably always been there as far as tobacco and alcohol and things like that, but they're getting enslaved in stuff. And so mark my words, whenever the Holy Spirit starts falling like he's about to, and we're seeing this younger generation come, understand what I'm saying. I'm saying all of that to get to this point, that I believe there's going to be mass deliverance. They're going to be delivered from things that came into them, even from video games. There's stuff that is available to them that wasn't available in the late 1800s. They're being exposed to things. They're doing things. You know, in the late 1800s in America, it was pretty rare that there would be witchcraft. You understand that? Our nation was Judeo-Christian heritage. The Bible was in every school. That's how people learned to read was the Bible. They prayed in school. Most people were God-fearing. They may not have been saved, but they, had a, they were God-fearing. Witchcraft now is pervasive. And if you want to open yourself up to demons, that's a good way to do it and start messing around with the occult. But see, this younger generation doesn't know any better because nobody's, I guess, not too many, have the guts to get up and say it. Hello? 
And so they don't know any better. So they're, they're messing around with stuff, thinking it's all in good fun. So you remember this river of life. When they come, don't be surprised if you're going to start seeing mass deliverance as the Lord Jesus comes in as the great deliverer and sets them free from all kinds of bondages. And also the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you, I believe when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. But there is a baptism in the Holy Ghost where the Holy Spirit clothes you in power and there are tongues. And I'm never going to back away from that. That goes back to the ancient path. That goes back to the boundary, the boundary stones of my fathers, what I've experienced. And I feel to a degree it's my responsibility that I am a part of helping the next generation experience it. I thank God for the torch that was passed to me from generals. But listen, we've got to get it to this next generation. And so there is a baptism in the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. And so I want to close with these last four points. There's going to be an end-time restoration that's coming. Those of us that were on this ancient path, we may be a remnant. We may feel like Elijah did when Elijah told the Lord, I'm the only one left. I mean, the Jezebel and them have killed all the true prophets. I feel alone. I feel like there's nobody else out there. To a degree, we may feel that way sometimes. But the Lord looked at Elijah and said, well, don't be discouraged. He said, I still have 7,000 haven't bowed their knees to Baal. You just don't know about them, see? God always has a remnant. But those of us that are on this ancient path and we've got some godly boundary stones and we've got spiritual parents like a spiritual legacy that we're walking this out and, and, it, and we're trying to be used of God to see it pass to the next generation, we'll understand that God himself is going to help in this process. How many knows there's a ministry of reconciliation that Paul talked about, but there is a restoration in this. So you remember that Paul, I believe it was Peter that said, the heavens must receive him until the restoration of all things. You see, every, please hear this, I don't want to lose you, but every time God has restored, it has been through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So hopefully this will make sense if I present it this way. How was the church born? We were born on the day of Pentecost. The church, the life of the church is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the devil came in, okay, 300 AD or so, and Constantine and all that whole thing with Roman Catholicism. It led down into the Dark Ages. That's a whole other thing that I can't get into. But the devil came in and stole everything, including even the gospel. That's why it's called the Dark Ages. And that's the thing that in 1570, Martin Luther began to understand the gospel again, that you're saved by faith in Christ alone, not through works. And he understood that. So there has to be a restoration. So hear what I'm saying. The devil came in and brought people into the Dark Ages. But now, just like we were born in Pentecost, every time God has restored things, it has been during great outpourings of the Holy Ghost. Think about it. Think about the days of Wesley and what was restored in the gospel there. Think about the days at Cambridge. Think about the days that we talked about um, with Finney. But what about around 1900 with Wells and Azusa? God began to pour out his spirit and listen through the Azusa Street revival, what was restored? The baptism, the Holy Spirit, tongues, the gifts. 
And then what happened in the, the 40s and 50s revival? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Mighty men of God like Old Roberts and many others set up tents throughout this nation, travel. They preached, but they didn't just preach the gospel. They prayed for the sick. And there were many people healed and delivered. That outpouring of the Holy Spirit brought back the healing ministry, the deliverance ministry. I think about the outpouring in the 60s with the Jesus movement and began a revival among young people. I think about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 90s. You know, I believe the 90s saw more than anything else. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 90s was to restore back the glory fire in the house. The glory of God came back. And we haven't lost that here. Amen? The glory. So as God is going to finish this thing, there is a closing of the age. There's a finishing work that is taking place, okay? God's wrapping everything up. And as we're closing out this time, number one, here's the restoration. We've got to be careful as we preach that we point everybody to Jesus in such a way that he is the central focus and he is the standard. You understand? And I always really honor Benny Hinn for doing that because so many people become, and I was at his meetings myself. I know he's got his critics. The more anointed you are, the more critics you're going to have. And I remember many times things like this. He would get up and say to the people, please don't look at me. I couldn't heal a fly if my life depended on it. He said, get your focus upward on Jesus. He is your savior. He is your healer. He's your deliverer. Reach out and grab the hem of his garment. We've got to get people's focus on Jesus because if we're not careful to make that a point to do that, man has always had tendencies to make idols of things that they see. And we have to keep it a point to keep people's focus upward, that they're not looking at things or horizontally, rather, they're looking vertically. And it has to be something that's deliberate because people don't mean to, but they'll end up making idols of different things that are going on in the move of God, whether it's leaders, whether it's the worship, whether it's this or that, the altar. They'll make idols about stuff. But you have to get their focus off of those things and back onto the Lord. And let me tell you, in John 16, 13, Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them at this present time. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you in all truth. For he will not speak of his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what's to come. Look at this, verse 14, he will glorify me. Did y'all see that? When the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify the Lord. The Holy Spirit's responsibility, more than anything else, is to bring people to a focus of Jesus Christ, because he's the source. Are y'all hearing me? The Holy Spirit comes to glorify Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit will have to help the church to see and acknowledge Jesus for who he really is. How many knows Jesus has never changed? He's still the Savior from sin. He is still the great healer. He is still the deliverer from demonic activity. He is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost, and he is the head over the church. So he is what you need. And if we can get people to look vertically, 
and get their eyes off of man and things this way and get their focus on the Lord and reach up like that woman with issue blood. Reach up and grab the hem of his garment. Whatever it is that they need will flow. But if they get their eyes this way, horizontally on other things, it can actually hinder them from receiving because they don't mean to, but they're kind of idolizing things. So please hear what I'm saying. I'm being repetitive for a reason. We have to make it a point to keep people's focus toward him. And if we will do that, I believe there will be tremendous power released because that, the Holy Spirit will honor that. And isn't it interesting that in ancient armies, the standard bearer was the key person. Do you know what a standard is? Like a flag that they would carry... The, the person that had the standard. Every group of soldiers was trained to identify and acknowledge and respect its own particular standard. So, which may have been something like an eagle, a leopard, or whatever design, whatever it was, whatever color, there was somebody that would carry the standard into battle. Now, this was important because if at any time the group of soldiers was being maybe overrun by the enemy, they were in danger of being defeated its commander would order that the standard would be raised up. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? The standard would be lifted up, and then those that are being going through a difficult time, maybe they're being defeated, they're scattered, they're confused, they're in the midst of battle, they could look over and they could see this standard come up. And they would all take off running toward the standard, and they would regroup together around the standard. And then they could regroup and they could advance again. But if that standard wasn't lifted up, what you would have is a bunch of chaos and confusion as people scattered. That was the reason why the standard was so important. And so let me tell you, Jesus, we've got to make him that standard. If everybody will start rallying around him and who he really is, and not overcomplicated. How many knows this is not complicated? He is your salvation. Not a church, not church membership, not doing things or not doing things. He is your salvation. All that will be the outworking of doing right and not doing wrong, but he is your source. He's your salvation. He's also your healer. Somebody may pray with you, and you may get healed at that time, but that wasn't the person. It was the Lord through them. He is your healer. He's your deliverer. He is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. He's the head of the church, and he is the soon-coming king. But if we can all rally around that standard, it should be that all these pet doctrines, these traditions of men, all these other things shouldn't be the focus, even though unfortunately sometimes they are with some people. But all of that should fade because we're all focused on the standard. So I'm going to go to great lengths to keep people's focus upward on the Lord. Number two, this is the process here of restoration. Number one, we've got to see the standard restored. People quit focusing on building something, quit focusing on getting offerings, quit focusing on numbers, quit focusing on all the things, the pet doctrines and traditions, etc. Quit focusing on, let's get Jesus lifted back up of who he really is not who your respective denomination or group says he is. No, no. What does the Bible say he is? You understand? 
What does the Bible say? Because there's places that go that teach him Jesus doesn't heal anymore. Well, I beg to differ that, my, you know, the Bible says this. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So wrong, he does heal today. So we need to quit trying to see some kind of a Jesus that is presented in that way. No, no, no. We need to see the true Jesus that the Word of God presents who he really is in his fullness, lifted up, glorified, that all men are drawn unto him for who he really is, his power, his nature. All right, then once you have that, that's number one, and that's preeminent. We've got to have that or nothing else will work. You've got to have his focus. Number two then, once you have Jesus lifted up, then deliverance from satanic oppression. God is going in these latter days to step in. Warfare may be severe. As we see in Joel chapter 2, the locust that descended down prophetically, metaphorically in this, was the invading army of the enemy. So picture the Midianites, others coming, descending down upon the nation of Israel with their military forces. They come in, they, they devour their crops, they steal or they kill their livestock, they burn their houses, they come in like locusts that is devouring everything in front of them. This is a devouring army. And you can see the hopelessness in Joel 2 where it says the vine is dried up, the fig trees withered, the joy has faded away. But even though the, the oppression was severe, God said call a solemn assembly, a corporate fast. Rally the people. Let the priest weep between porch and altar. That's where these scriptures come from that we sing sometimes. Let, let the, the old and the young, everybody come, call a fast, let everybody get on their face and repent of wrongdoing and ask God to step in. And he said that once they've done that, here's what the Bible says would happen. He said, then God would step in and drive the northern army away. Did you know that a lot of the oppression that's going on is because Jesus is not really the standard lifted up like he should be? When Jesus is really lifted up and glorified and honored for who he really is, not just our Savior, but our healer, our deliverer, our baptizer in the Holy Ghost, well, if people would rally around who he really is and glorify him and focus on him, you would be surprised how much the Holy Spirit would honor that and there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But because there are many are unfortunately not doing that, then what happens, the enemy begins to move in. And he begins to come in to steal, kill, and destroy, and devour. And he begins to oppress. And if God's people, like you're doing in River of Life, and I honor you for that, as we humble ourselves in prayer and fasting and repentance and consecrating our lives unto God, the satanic oppression that's been coming against God's people will be driven back. And Obadiah presents the order of restoration. Look at this, Obadiah 1.17, but Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Let me tell you, when it talks about the gates of hell will not prevail, that's not supposed to be read like we're over here and the enemy is just slamming us and we're just hanging on for dear life but he won't prevail that's not really the picture that's painted what is really painted in the greek there 
is that we go and possess the gates of hell. That we go and possess the gates of our enemies. We overtake them. Not that we're in a defensive posture. No, no. We're offensive. We're taking ground. And so first off, Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance, but there's got to be holiness for there to be deliverance. So that's where the deep repentance and the humility and prayer and fasting come as we really get things right with God. And if the greater body of Christ will grab hold of this, let's get back to prayer. Let's get back to repentance again and holiness. And when we do and we lift Christ up as a standard, you'd be surprised how much hell will flee. Then we will possess our possessions. We will begin to see restoration. So first, among those that are sanctified, in Acts 26, 18 shows us that they may receive an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. For us to really receive our inheritance, we receive our inheritance because we have become sanctified and clean and the enemy is no longer oppressing us because of our disobedience and rebellion. Amen? Isn't that awesome? As we get things right with God, man, now the enemy is on the run. Now, instead of being oppressed, the northern army's fleeing. And instead of us in a defensive posture, now we're overtaking the gates of the enemy like we're supposed to be. So Jesus has got to be the standard. And then as we get things right with God, we begin to see the enemy fleeing, and there's like an oppression that lifts off God's people. Then number three, then after the oppression lifts, Acts 1a, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and be my witnesses. Acts 2.17, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters prophesy. Young men see visions, old men see dreams. Even on my male and female servants, I'll pour out my spirit and they'll prophesy. We see Isaiah 58 and Joel 2. We see great restoration comes. So number one, Jesus is lifted back up where he should be. Number two, then as we get things right, the enemy is on the run. Now the Holy Spirit really begins to be poured out in an awesome way. And we start seeing restoration in our lives and in the greater body of Christ, restoration. What has the enemy stolen? What has he done? Well, how is your city? Is it in bondage, etc.? Now, because the enemy's on the run and the Holy Spirit's being poured out, now we can possess the gates of our enemies. So there's an equipping. We see here the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the restoration and the empowering of the church. In other words, you don't send out a reaper into a harvest field without a sickle. Did y'all catch that? We've got to be equipped. But for us to be equipped, we're spiritually equipped. How are we going to be an effective witness? Jesus said, listen, go wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Then you'll be my witness. You can't really be an effective witness until you're clothed with power. See, there's got to be an equipping. And for us to operate in what God's called us to operate, there has to be an equipping of proper giftings, etc. Things that he's taught us. And in that, now we're equipped and ready to do what we're called to do. Does everybody see in this? We lift Christ back up as the standard. Then, as we get everything right, the enemy flees. Then, number three, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to equip and empower us to rise up and be what we're supposed to be. Then, number four, 
the regathering. Isn't it interesting? And I thought about what you were sharing with me too, Brian, about the, you had had something about that great, just, you'll see what I'm talking about right here. Ezekiel 37 shows the valley of dry bones that became a great army when God breathed on them. See, we look at things right now and we, we think, well, everybody, you know, for example, River of Life, it was so encouraging to me at the Pentecost conference to regather with people of precious like faith. How many felt that? Because over the last 10 years or so, that has been waning and it's fewer and further between, unfortunately. But to gather with people of precious like faith and, and to come together. But see, right now, it seems like the body of Christ, you think about this valley of dry bones here which I know prophetically it probably speaks of the Holocaust and regathering of Israel. I understand that and the creation of the IDF. I believe that's true. But let's look at it from a spiritual perspective here. The Valley of Dry Bones, when Ezekiel went out there and God said, can these bones live? These were dry, parched bones scattered everywhere. And Ezekiel, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, said, Lord, only you know. And the Lord said, begin to prophesy over these bones, son of man. And he began to prophesy. And, he, and then the wind started blowing. And when God's breath began to blow on those bones, they began to come together. And the end result was not that they just got alive, but they became a great army, you see. And so there's something about as we truly lift up the, listen, in these latter days, it's so important what I'm sharing. I'm hoping that this really is, is um, hitting home here. It's so important that we don't get so caught up with pet doctrines and traditions of men and our little opinions and all the schisms and things. Listen, let's lift up the Lord to where we really see him for who he really is. Not what somebody told you. No, what does, what does the Bible say about him? Who is he really? And when he's lifted up, then we really start getting things right with him. The enemy is going to clear out. That oppression is going to lift. Then the Holy Spirit will really begin to be poured out in our midst, equipping and empowering us to be what we need to be. Then, number four, then because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the greater body of Christ, bone begins to connect with bone again. This can only be done by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you. But now, because the Holy Spirit's poured out, then bones start coming together, and an exceedingly great army emerges that begins to really possess the gates of the enemy and plunder his goods. But it has to be in that order. And Obadiah shows us that pattern. And what does the Bible say? These last two scriptures, Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness over the people, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. So there is an arising and shining. I believe, just like I feel here, I believe that God's going to have pockets like this. There's thick darkness out there. How many feel it out there? In America, around the world, there's a thick darkness that's coming. And you can sense it. You can sense the rise of the Antichrist is near. You can sense the rise of the false prophet is near. 
You can see, I don't want to belabor this, but you can see the signs of the times. You see the mark of the beast is not far-fetched, and it's probably not very far off. You can see all this thick darkness, but yet the glory. There's going to be pockets where the glory of God, like a dome. I believe somehow this is connected to mantles that are over ministries, but there's like a mantle and there'll be like a dome of God's glory as people are doing what we're supposed to be doing to come under the blood and repent and we make God's house a house of prayer, etc. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. There's going to be some kind of a, like a covering, a dome over us that's going to protect people supernaturally. And there's an open heaven, angels ascending and descending. There's a dome of protection. And I believe that that's what God's warning in these latter days. But look at what it says here. The glory will come upon us. So the thick darkness is on the world, but the glory is on the church. And those places where the glory arises and shines, nations will come to your light. And even kings to the brightness of your dawn. So where God's glory is shining, it's going to draw the lost in. Okay, In Malachi 4 verse 1, For behold, the day is coming burning like a furnace. All the arrogant and the evildoers will just be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze as the Lord of armies, that's the Lord of hosts. So that it will leave them neither root nor branches, but for you who fear my name. How many have a holy fear for God and his holy name? For those of you who fear my name, he says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go forth and frolic like calves released from a stall. And you will crush the wicked underfoot. How I many knows God is wanting us, the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. He's wanting us to possess the gates of our enemies, to crush the head of Satan. And it says that for they will, <clears throat> they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I am preparing, says the Lord of armies. So God is wanting us to arise in that glory, to arise up as an army and be what we're supposed to be. But I believe, River of Life, that we're on an ancient path that our forefathers in the faith have blazed this trail. We're on this path of righteousness, a highway of holiness. It's a path. There's boundary stones, godly convictions, godly teaching godly doctrine that's established. It's like boundary stones that we can't move. They're established. We're on this path. There's this established boundaries. And as we're going through this, we've connected with what was, but we're seeing a fresh outpouring. And in the outpouring, if Christ will really be lifted up by us, we lift him up and we'll get things right with him. The army of the enemy will flee God will pour out his spirit and he will make an army arise, emerge in that that will truly possess the gates of our enemies. Y'all hear what I'm saying? But it takes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for these things. Our job is to just be faithful and keep moving forward in him. So Lord, I thank you for this word tonight. And I know we're living in a time, as I talked earlier, you know, this generation, there's even very young people that are exposed to things that 
you know, the late 1800s would have not even existed through technology. It wasn't there to even be exposed, you know. But people are being so exposed to things now. And Lord, I'm believing you in these latter days. We ask you that you would step in. And as the Bible says, pour out your spirit on all flesh. Lord, that you'll sanctify and purify a bride to be ready to meet you in the air. And Lord, that you would cause the harvest to yield in these latter days. Lord, release your mighty angel armies to roll back the tides of darkness and help gather in the sheaves. Lord, we ask you to step down, rend the heavens, and pour out your spirit. As Jesus said in Luke, he said, I long to cast fire on the earth and wish it were kindled. Lord, release your holy fire on the earth, Lord. Perpetuate this last day of revival. Let that fire burn up what's evil, but set your people ablaze to be on fire for you. Lord, let it come. We believe it, we expect it. For in the end times, you said that you would do it. You would pour out your spirit. You would gather in the harvest. And you obviously are gonna get a bride ready to meet you. So Lord, we wanna partner with you in this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's go ahead and shut down.